I like writing breakup stories. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I think the idea of like a clingy suit and Mm -hmm. not having actual sex, but having like suit rubbing sex seemed interesting (laughs) at the time. And Uh so that was a generative Mm -hmm. chunk. You're listening to Stories with Jordan. I'm your host, Cassie Jurgens. Today we have on Marissa Matarazzo. This story is called Ions. She goes to the post office to pick up her mail. Blanca Flynn has been on vacation for eight days with three girlfriends, celebrating a breakup. Mostly, she drank. And like her girlfriends, made out with waiters and jet ski instructors at a resort on a beach where the sand is red and dusty, the water is warm like her shower, and the cocktails come in colorful plastic tubes as long as her arm. It is Saturday just before two. There is no line. She walks directly to the bulletproof window. A short stack of envelopes is gingerly handed to her by the old woman behind the counter. She is the oldest, most raisin-wrinkled woman Blanca Flynn has ever seen in her whole life, in person or in pictures. Thank you, she reads the woman's name, name tag, Della, she says, and tucks the sheaf into her armpit. As she steps away from the counter and walks toward the door, she gets dizzy. It is so hot and bright outside and so cool and dim in the post office. Blanca Flynn steadies herself by the stamp machine. She doesn't have to go back to work for another day, and she is glad because she needs to recover from her vacation. She realizes she may have pushed it too hard this time, tossed one too many empty plastic tubes over her shoulder. She is half proud of this. It was good for her. Heaves and headaches and sunburn included. She'd arrived with a calamity in her heart, but the bright white days on the hot sand sipping those long drinks warbled it wet and wavy and far away. And now she is back. She looks past the stamp machine to the thick door locking away the private parts of the post office. The door clacks open and out strides a mailman. In slips Blanca Flynn. Why? Just because. She brushes against the fist of keys on his belt and makes it across the threshold before the door clunks shut. She hears the mailman shout from the other side of the closed door, jangle his keys. Mail sorters look up from their business in the back and look startled and glance at one another from long tables of bills and magazines and good news and bad news and no news and postcards maybe even from the place she just was and boxes and boxes and boxes but she glides by quickly and purposefully and before anyone can stop her she is out the back way into the sunshine she hops from the loading dock and ambles through the parking lot she examines her mail nothing nothing junk a thin and squishy shampoo sampler packet a letter it's from him her breathing her blood her brain all stop one two three She blinks, focuses. There is his heavily slanted handwriting. There is his name in the upper left corner. There is the stamp he chose to stick. Feelings swell in her chest. They press up her throat into her head. One screams loudest in her ears. Blanca Flynn is pissed. She pictures him. There is his face attached to his body in his bed 
and with him, someone else. She sees a naked girl body in her mind in his bed. She doesn't know who this girl is. She doesn't imagine this girl's face. She sticks a blue dot where the girl's head should be. He fucks her in Blanca's brain, in his bed. The girl's blue dot bobs. Blanca Flynn stares at the envelope. If she had a bomb, she would detonate it here, on the envelope. If she had acid, she would pour it. If she stares at it much longer, she might tear it open with her teeth, rub the pages against her mouth, smear the ink onto her lips. To the front of her mind slams possible contents. He is so sorry. She misunderstood. He was just kidding. The purse she found in his truck was a joke. No, not funny. So, so sorry. Blanca Flynn hears it in his German accent, his mouth full of squatting vowels and sandpaper rubs. He could convince her. It was not an affair. It was nothing. It was work. The girl was a colleague, a sister, a cousin, an aunt. Very undesirable. And for a bright moment, his imagined voice shucking loudly in her head, Blanca Flynn believes her versions of his letter. She pauses, rubs her eyes, looks past the envelope to her toes and her flip-flops. Her toes are very tan. Her feet are tan. So are her legs and her trunk and her face, and they all feel leaden. She wishes she could selectively delete memory. His bed, a rumpled mess, late in the afternoon. He was a man who made his bed every morning, quickly and tightly, his golden pinky ring glinting while he folded and smoothed and tucked. Then Blanca Flynn found some girl's stuff in his truck, a clutch containing lipstick and bungee cords and loose change. What a disgusting woman. And the smell on his neck and chest, not his, not Blanca's, female. All the stupid clues. But if she could scrub her mind clean, if she didn't remember it, did it really happen? Maybe not. For example, Blanca Flynn's girlfriends claimed just the other night she danced on a speaker box, peeled off her shirt, propelled it above her head. But she doesn't remember, and there are no pictures. As far as she knows, it didn't happen. She looks back at the envelope. Her memory, unfortunately, remains intact and still soiled. She considers rolling the letter up, stuffing it in the gas tank of one of the mail trucks, dropping a match in after it, walking away tall, having never read a word. She hesitates for a moment, lifts the envelope to her nose for a quick sniff. She sniffs a big one, but it smells only like paper, an envelope stickum. His German tongue licked the lickum on the flap. Her stomach tightens and falls limply into her crotch. And her underwear, suddenly, they are a little damp. She shakes her head, sighs, then shushes herself. She reaches for her purse and realizes she's not carrying it. If she was, she'd fish out her pocket knife. Flick open the biggest blade, stab all four tires of one of these trucks. Carve his name into the bumper. Blanca Flynn makes a fist and punches the side of her head quickly like her wrist snapped from a spring. She does this to derail her train of thought. Sometimes it works. Always it stings. She focuses on the sting until it fades, and for those few moments, she doesn't think of him. She returns her attention to the envelope in her hands, composes herself carefully folds the envelope into a small rectangle and stuffs it into her back pocket like an old tissue. She pats that pocket, wonders if she might never read it, wonders if she did, if it would change everything, the course of her life. 
She'd considered hers with him, and now it is without him, but might the letter rewrite him back into it? Could she forgive him? She doesn't know these answers. She thinks she should walk. She walks forward anywhere. Blanca Flynn walks for some time, thinking. She thinks her German ex-boyfriend is like wet paint spilled on the sidewalk in her brain, and she is without a hose to turn on him and wash him into a blur. So instead, she slops through it, ruining her shoes, stamping fresh footprints of old memories everywhere. She met him at the laundromat when the machines at her place were out of order and her landlord was slow to repair. He was rubbing stain stick into spots on a collared shirt and a pair of navy slacks. He was tall. His shoulders were straight like the crossbar in a capital T. He caught her watching him and smiled, his lips pulling into a wide rectangle revealing top and bottom teeth. Blanca Flynn approached him, looked at the stain-stuck spots on his clothes, asked if it was blood. He turned to her, widened the narrowed his eyes, said, very good, in his accent that would wear the clothes off her body only hours later. Appetite grew between the two of them, right there by the machines. Each hurried with the laundry, but tried to appear casual. They dumped their hand- hamper bags, pressed lights and darks into the washer holes, poured detergent, dropped quarters, hit the button, shilly-shallied at each other. He glanced at the washer clock, mentioned they both had some time. They agreed to scoot across the street for a nibble and a sip. Why not? Why not? They sat at a corner table in a high booth, had cocktails and fondue, got drunk and randy in the afternoon. Blanca Flynn speared him in the rib with her fondue fork. He ordered strawberries and a tub of chocolate to go. They both fell into his truck. She pointed this way, then that way, right here, straight there, left at the light, while she unzipped his pants. She pulled his dick through the fly in his boxers, then through the fly in his jeans, kept it out like it grew from the gap below his belt buckle. They arrived at her place and she led him, by his dick, like a leash, from his truck, across the street, through the gate, down the grass path, and into her bedroom. He giggled and grumbled the whole hundred yards, grumbled Shison repeatedly, couldn't believe her pluck. Quickly to her bed, then all clothes gone, he dumped the to-go chocolate down her back, rivering it over her ass. He ate it off. They tumbled together, chocolate everywhere. They were sticky and smudged, caked and clotted. Chocolate dreaded her hair and his hair, soaked through her sheets, stained her mattress, splashed the rug. They took a shower together, and the water ran sweet and brown down the drain. She was surprised now by his ease into that mess, given how tidy she'd eventually learn he was. Today, she figures perhaps it was because they were at her place, not his, making a wreck of her bed, not his. She wonders if that did it. Was that a sign on night one that she was not for him? Or was it the sexing so soon? Does she believe what they say about sexing too soon? She doesn't think she does. She thinks that those that say you shouldn't should go to hell, where maybe no one has sex. How about that? These days, she finds herself mad at people she doesn't know and can only barely imagine. She misses her German lover. They both returned to the laundromat in the morning. She'd gotten a parking ticket. He swiped it from her windshield, tucked it into his pocket, shook his head no when she asked to have it. He took her hand and led her inside. She would learn that whenever she held his hand, their palms noticeably wouldn't touch. 
Instead, she felt a tiny globe of very warm air spin on, to, spin on its axis between the eye of her palm and his. His load and her load were wet and rumpled lumps in the washers. They ran them again, slipped to the bench seat of his truck for two more fucks, a washer fuck, then a dryer fuck. It was bright daytime. From beneath the club behind his seat, he pulled a padded foil sunblocker and rolled it across the, his windshield. For privacy and shade, he assured her in his German voice while he worked her jeans down her legs. She wonders now if he was completely single then. She has never cheated on anyone. She reaches for the letter in her back pocket. Blanca Flynn changes her mind, pushes her hands into her front pockets, still doesn't read it. Slowly, she notices that beneath her slapping sandals, the ground has turned to dirt, and above her, the sun's gone completely green through the leaves in the trees. She realizes that she has never walked so far behind the post office. She stops, looks. It's woodsy. Blanca Flynn does not expect any of what comes next. A thing falls on her, from a tree. It's a net. It balloons fat and floaty on the way down, like a parachute. She knows this because she heard rustling, looked up, watched it fall. Its insides domed wide and round with air. She didn't step out of its way. When it falls on top of her, get this, the center clings tight to the crown of her head, separates and scoots over her hair and face. It cinches around her neck, and the four corners of the net drop heavily onto the ground, like they are weighted. The corners then skit quickly toward her ankles, leaving short, straight grooves in the dirt. Her head through the hole in the center, the net drapes over her chest and shoulders and back like a poncho. Then it changes. The fibers in the net contract, pulling the mesh close to her body. The holes in the webbing shrink until they disappear into a solid fabric. It clings to Blanca Flynn's body, defining her contours, from neck to ankles. It seals itself tight around each arm and each leg. It hugs her breasts and her hips. It becomes one unbroken rubbery sheath, like a second skin. It's red and glossy like candy. She sucks in a quick, deep breath and the suit gives with a puff of her chest. She bends her arms. They can, like normal. Then the rumpled bumps from the clothes she is wearing smooth out beneath the sheet. Down her arms and out the cuffs around her wrists, liquid, the milk-white color of her t-shirt, runs over the backs of her hands, across her palms, drips from her fingertips. She feels a delicate wash across her chest and back, over her waist and butt and down her legs. From her ankles, where the suit ends, a rush of liquid and a swirl, the color of her shirt and her pink bra and black panties and denim shorts runs over her feet in her flip-flops and pools in a puddle. All this as she stands there. She is confounded in such a way that keeps her put where she is. She doesn't gasp or scream or leave. Her reaction time is slow on account of her vacation coupled with the thick fog that rolled between her ears and clouded her eyes the moment her German shook his head and shrugged his straight shoulders at the evidence she'd found. It's left her capable of looking up at rustling in the sky, but unfit to think to step out of its way. It's left her oddly comfortable with the, her understanding that her clothes have just melted from her body beneath this red jellied clinging onesie that was once a net. She hears from above, and in what feels like the slowest motion, she looks up again. 
A curly-headed blonde guy leans over the edge of a platform, built high up into the thick branches and leaves of a tree. Excuse me. Excuse me, he says, smiling. He motions for her to come. She doesn't move. His face disappears from the edge and reappears in a square hole cut into the platform near the tree trunk. Watch out, he says. Down falls a chain ladder. It unravels with a jerk and a ching, inches from her face. Climb it, he says. Blanca Flynn is baffled by the strangeness of the last few moments, but is surprisingly calm. Something sound rolls through her. She feels like she's just heard the first few bars of the best song and is compelled to tune in tightly, wild to catch each next beat. She decides it is time for things. When presented with opportunities, her German took them, and now, today, and maybe for the rest of her life, fuck everyone, so should she. She climbs the chain ladder. It twitches and sways with the weight and torque of her slick red body. At the top, she pokes her head through the hole in the platform. The man is still smiling. He offers her his hand, and she takes it. He helps her out of the hole. He has a very sweet face. Blanca Flynn notices it in a way she hasn't noticed faces in what feels like a long time. Not even the waiters at the resort. They all had, it seemed, one handsomish brown face. She stands with him on the platform, which is like a deck in front of the whole tree home. There are two pots of pink and orange flowers on, each, on either side of the front door. She notices she is noticing things. This feels nice. He invites her through the door and into his place. She's never been in a tree home, but th is familiar with other homes and how they make her feel. Sometimes sleepy or short of breath or tall if the ceilings are unusually low or fat if there's too much dark furniture. Her Germans was so neat, clinically organized like a first aid kit. It made her feel crisp and ironed. Sunlight traipses through the window. The room is cool and breezy and made of smooth wood. Immediately, she likes his place. She feels awake and warm. She feels like eating breakfast. She smiles at him and stops. She skates backwards inside her head because she thinks she doesn't really see what she thinks she is seeing. She blinks, focuses, is floored. At first glance, she saw one big smooth wood room with all the comforts of a home you'd find on the ground. A toilet behind a blue curtain, a stainless steel sink, a small refrigerator, a small work area, with what looks like an old-fashioned spinning wheel. More careful inspection, and in addition to those regular home things, she sees some irregular other things she finds hard to believe. But she is standing there, looking at them. So is believing. Several items in his tree home appear to be made of water. The mattress, a small safe, a lampshade, a picture frame, the couch. Pure water. The water is water that apparently holds form, the form of a mattress, a small safe, a lampshade, a picture frame, a couch. No covers, no nothing, just water in the shapes of things she knows. This is remarkable, stupefying, confusing, staggering, but it doesn't spike her mouth with what or why or no, or put a stop to what feels like flower buds blooming in her head. She is first drawn to the mattress, like it is sorcerering her over. But she resists, defaults to the couch, takes a good long look at this couch. It is big and cushy and entirely transparent. 
She can see the grain of the wood in the floorboards, bent and magnified through the cushions. He walks behind her and crosses the room. The couch ripples when he walks. It ripples when the wind blows through the window. Blanca Flynn thinks it might ripple if she laughed too loud. Beguiled, she laughs, loud. The couch ripples. She smiles, shakes her head, shrugs her shoulders, looks to him and says, wow. It escapes her mouth full of breath. He nods. Can I sit? She asks. He swoops his arm out, palm up in the direction of the couch. She sits. She floats weightlessly on the cushions. She lays back. When she stretches and shifts and nuzzles herself into the cushions, the water makes soft smacking sounds like someone taking a bath. Did you make this? She asks, folding her hands behind her head, relaxing into it. Yes, he says. From water? She asks. Yes, he says. How? Ions, he says, and rests his hand on his spinning wheel. She has no idea what he means. She removes her hands from behind her head, sits up. She stands up from the water couch. It sloshes lightly. Mind if I look around? She asks. He shakes his head. She examines the lampshade. The light is out and water whiffles around the bulb in perfect lampshade formation. He steps close to her. She feels warm and can smell him. You smell good, she says. Thanks, he says, and steps past her, leaving his scent in the air around her face. He crosses to the small safe near his bed. Blanca Flynn inhales deeply and detectively and determines he smells like something, like expensive herbal tea. She breathes to the bottom of her lungs and thinks for a moment he smells like Galliano liqueur, only not liquory, and minus the vanilla. It's a cologne combo she's never smelled before. She likes it. She watches him at his safe. There is a little red glass vial in the safe. She can see the vial clear through the watered form. A red blotch, like a berry, it grows large and small and distorted when he spins the steel combination lock until the safe burbles open. He uncaps the vial and dabs fresh, sweet-smelling oil behind his ears, along his collarbone. She aims her nose in his direction and smells. Mmm, she says, and wonders if later she might get in close and steal a good whiff. What do you do with this stuff, she asks, smelling him and scanning the water pieces in the basket by the spinning wheel, heaped full of nets. I play around with it mostly, he says. I also sell it to foreign governments and private corporations and sometimes celebrities. Of all the unexpected everythings so far, this one leaps upon entrance into her ears, startles her. Blanca Flynn wonders briefly why she meets men with secrety and obscure jobs. Her cheating German was never entirely clear about his line of work, often committed, committed to it at odd hours and through the night. Once, over sausage dinner at a beer garden, he said he was an agent. She asked him what kind, and he said an agent in an agency. And when she pressed further, his face ice cold and he spoke something harshly in German, like his mouth were built of pumice stones and the words scraped themselves raw on their way out. He pinched the juice from a wedge of lemon and dropped it into his beer. Do foreign governments, private corporations, and celebrities pay you visits here? Blanca Flynn asks him. Never, he says. How do they get the goods? She asks. They send representatives and assistants and pickup vans to the post office, he says. 
She can't tell if this is a lot or a little information. So, she says, you're an entrepreneur. He stuffs his hands in his pants pockets, thinks for a beat. Yes, he says, and his gaze falls on the picture in the water frame on the table by his bed. It is of a woman swinging around a pole. A cap gun snaps fire in Blanca Flynn's gut. Who's that floozy, she blurts. It blows from her mouth and splatters in the direction of his special picture. Immediately, she wishes she could take it back. She knows she shouldn't care about his floozies. She tells herself she doesn't. She tells herself the next relationship she is in, she will have a hundred affairs. Quickly, she wonders if that relationship might be with this guy. And then she wonders how heartsick he will be when he learns about all her entanglements. And then briefly and meanly, she hopes he'll feel worse than she does now. He grabs the photo from the table and shakes it vigorously. The water whips off onto the floor and walls. It sizzles on the bare bulb in the ceiling. He shakes away the entire frame and holds a limp still between his thumb and forefinger. He glances nervously at Blanca Flynn, opens his dresser drawer, and tucks the photo under a short stack of t-shirts. She is glad he hides it. He turns and looks at her. She is standing, looking at him, the ghost of her floozy question haunting the space between their bodies. She doesn't know what to do with her arms. She crosses them. Her forearms squeak when they rub against each other. She uncrosses them. They squeak again. Flustered, she places her hands on her hips. Beneath her fingertips, she feels the suit he ballooned onto her, and she remembers that she is sleek and rubbery and red. You made this too, she asks, changing the subject and looking down at the suit stretched across her stomach and her thighs and over her knees. Yes, he says. You knot them and toss them and they gel onto bodies, huh? Pretty much, he says. She has figured out the sequence. She picks a sparkly knotted gray net from the basket by the spinning wheel. She throws it up and watches it float down over his head and body. The net beads away from his head and face, cinching around his neck and falling over his shoulders to the floor. The four corners thunk on the floor, then creep quickly toward his body and cling to his flesh. The holes between the knots close, the fabric shrinks tight and smooth. It contours his calves, his crotch, his chest, his arms. His t-shirt sleeves melt down his arms and drip from his fingers. His shirt bib, bib and underwear and pants slip down his legs, spill over his ankles and bare feet puddle around them. He flicks his hands dry, steps from the puddle toward the kitchen area. He grabs the broom and a dustpan and sweeps the puddle into the pan, walks from the platform porch. His feet appear dry, he leaves no tracks. He dumps the contents of the dustpan onto the ground below. Blanca Flynn hears it splash in the distance. The spot where the puddle had been looks clean. Blanca sits back down on the couch. He puts the broom away and sits next to her. They both bobble for a minute. What is this stuff made from? She asks and runs her finger along his rubbery gray thigh like it's the shiny finish on a show car. Her German stood her up for a date to the car show. Said he had to work. She believed him. This guy in gray glances quickly at her. I keep a flower bed on the highest branch at the top of this tree, he says. I grow flowers. The pollen from these flowers isn't pollen. It's sap. I spin that. The sap. He folds his hands in his lap. Huh, she says. You are an inventor. He shrugs yes. She turns to the watery arm of the couch. She jabs her fingers into it. They enter with a splish, and she watches them shift fat and thin under the water. 
She pulls her hand out. It's dry, like cornstarch, the arm of the couch intact. She wonders why he didn't just stick his hand into the safe. Could you have shoved your fingers directly into your safe, she asks. No, he says. Why not, asks Blanca Flynn. The combination, he says, and leans in toward her and tilts his head, and there is his face right up in front of hers. She sees his eyelashes and the pores around his nose and the creases in his lips. He leans in further and kisses her with an inhale. She thinks her whole self will be sucked out from her red rubbery suit and into his mouth. This is a good feeling. It feels like a long time since she's had this feeling. And like a hot pinprick into the center of her chest, she wonders if her German had this feeling with whomever she was that left her purse and bungee cords in his truck that he should have disposed of before Blanca Flynn climbed into the passenger seat. He kisses her harder. She kisses back. This goes on for some time until it ends. When their faces pull away, he looks at her for a beat, then stands. She looks up at him. He holds out his hand. She takes it. He leads her across the room and onto the mattress. She's been aching to get on that mattress since she arrived to see how it works. But she thought she shouldn't attend to his bed. Not so soon. Not this time. Then, oh shit, she thinks. Oh well. <laughs> and she eases backwards into it. There are no sheets and no blanket on this mattress. It sloshes beneath her, but she stays dry. They bob for a moment. He watches her wobble up and down and smiles and laughs with no sound. She smiles too and flips from her back to her stomach, feeling slippery as a baby seal. She looks down into his mattress. Through the clear water, Blanca Flynn can see what he keeps under his bed. A barbell, two stacks of magazines, science news and a business something or other, a toolbox, an unzipped duffel bag stuffed with what looks like the chins and cheekbones and empty eyes of masks. A laptop computer case. She wonders if it is dusty under there. She wonders if dust can gather under a burbling water thing that doesn't drip. She decides, probably. She feels his hands on her hips. He flips her back over. The move is so smooth and quick it's like she's greased. He slips one hand behind her head, the other at her sacrum. He leans into her. Their hips, then knees bump. And her rubbery red and his rubbery gray squeak. She giggles and says out loud, squeak, because she is embarrassed by the sound, as if her stomach had grumbled audibly. Now, beneath him, on the mattress that is water, in his tree home, two rubbery unitard suits. Here she is. She is with a new person, in a new bed, and quickly, like cold air on a cavity, her German shoots to her nerve endings. She swipes her hand across her rear to check if his letter bulges beneath the rubber. No bulge. No letter. She guesses it melted with her clothes. Like that, she feels panic, like she's lost her teeth. She swishes her tongue through her mouth, wonders what he might have said in those pages. This gray guy kisses her again, and she snaps too. She focuses on his kiss and muscles aside what she is thinking about until she forgets what she is thinking about. She ki he kisses her again and then again, each with more gusto. He tucks his fingers into her hair, presses her firmly against him. He rolls her over. Their suits rub against each other and squawk. He rolls her over again. The suits yop. Blanca Flynn and this man in gray tangle together on the mattress. She wants him. She shifts and pushes her hips to his and wonders how to remove her shiny red suit. She realizes that there are no openings, no zippers, no seams. 
She looks at him. Her face is very close to his face. The weight of his whole body on her whole body feels good. She wants to peek at the tent he's pitched on top of her, but she refrains. She moves her hands across his upper back, slides them into the dip of his lower back and follows through up over his butt. There are absolutely no seams in his outfit either. He plants his hands on the surface of the water on either side of her shoulders. He looks like he might do a push-up over her. And he does. Only it's quick and jarring and the mattress gives beneath the push but then springs back up. Together they are launched from the mattress and into air. Her red suit bounces against his gray suit mid-air a few feet above the mattress. The suits squeal. Blanca Flynn laughs. They hit the mattress again with another great squeak and bounce up even higher this time. The mattress ripples with waves and their bodies twine and their suits cut quick rubbery yips. They bounce and bounce again. They land on their backs and on their right sides and on their left sides. They kiss and roll in a wad mid-air. Their suits irk and leap and rape loud and soft. They do this for a long time. The wide thoughts in Blanca Flynn's head narrow to the heavy pressure in her groin, the press of all his parts against hers, squeaking. The sun sets outside. He raises his hands above his head, claps twice, and the light in the lamp flicks on and shines twinkly from beneath the water lampshade. The breeze blows the smell of leaves through the window, leaves and spice, and she thinks she smells anisette and lemons and salty sweat. They lie side by side in the gurgly bed, winded. He holds her hand, their palms touch. He dips his toes and the top of his right foot into the arch of her left. Blanca Flynn thinks the suits must be breathable somehow because she is very comfortable. She lets go of her hand. He lets go of her hand, gets up, walks his gray rubbery body over to the little fridge. He clinks ice into glasses, uncaps bottles, pours, stirs, returns to the mattress with two thick drinks the color of brick. Ooh, she says, Bloody Marie's. He laughs, Bloody Mary's. Right, she says. He sips and smiles. He tells her, Mary Bloodies are like drinking meat. She agrees and tells him that sensation is on account of the Worcestershire sauce and the salt. Mary's blood calls for meat-related ingredients. She says very loudly, Hamburger meat is good to eat. And she smiles. She is amused by the mishmash of words they've shared, the rhyme she made, and the sound of her big voice in his small place. She feels happy and sexy, happier and sexier than she's felt since way back, since before her German heartbreak. He looks at her and his sparkly eyes. He looks at her and his eyes sparkle darkly. He cups his hand around his mouth like a megaphone and hoots. He laughs and looks shocked. She elbows up onto her side, lays her hand on his flat gray abdomen, says slowly and with bass, good. He says yes and slides his arm around her waist, rolls her beneath him again. The rubber eeks several, several short peeps. She tells him she has a secret. He directs his ear toward her mouth. She tells him about the time she wanted to cover her mattress, a regular department store mattress, in plastic cling wrap and take it to the ocean. She tells him she wanted to travel on it to that island in that book where all the little boys went crazy and wanted to kill each other. She tells him that she thought that'd be fun, but she never did it. He looks surprised and tells her that he did. He adjusts Blanca Flynn onto her back, kneels between her legs, hitches her thighs up onto his hips. 
again. It is dark outside. I'll walk you home, he says. He walks her to his house. That's my car, she says, as they stroll past it. She can see her luggage in the shadows in the back seat. He nods. Is this your place, he asks, looking at the fence and the big dark lawn and the brown door at the end of the path. No, this is the front house, she says. I rent the guest house in the back. Oh, he says. She walks with him on the grassy corridor alongside the main house. His rubbery gray is squeaking. Her rubbery red is squeaking. She loses her balance slightly and they bump shoulders. The rub makes a small rat. At her door, she asks him, how do I get this stuff off? In the bath, he says. Take a bath. He puts his hand on her hip. She feels the warm pressure of his palm through her suit. Want to come in and take one with me, she asks. He smiles and shakes his head no. She doesn't know how to respond. She expels a <laughs> laugh. It drops from her mouth, lands on her doormat. It was a dumb laugh. Blanca Flynn feels hot and embarrassed. He steps away from her door, turns, walks. She watches him walk along the path. The grass is long and hides his feet. In the dim night light, the grass is long and hides his feet. In the dim night light, it looks like his gray shiny body ends, ends at his ankles. He makes a left at the end of the path and is out of her sight. The feeling of surprise and stillness that fell upon her when he dropped his net returns, breaks over the top of her head and nods across the surface of her body. She doesn't go after him. She realizes she doesn't have her key, that maybe it melted with her clothes in the letter. She digs her spare out from under a fake rock in the dirt by a bush. She unlocks the door, pushes it open, presses on the light, enters the living room. It is clean. There are dark and light vacuum streaks in her brown carpet. She blinks at them, breathes. She feels like her chest is collapsing, like the seam between her ribs is withdrawing deep into her back, folding her clothes like a book. Her two shiny red shoulders might meet and squeak beneath her chin. She slogs to her bedroom, slouches toward her answering machine on the bedside table. The light on the machine blinks, messages. She pauses, her finger aimed at the button. She drops her fingertip hard onto the button. She erases all without playing them. A framed picture of Blanca Flynn and her German sits to the right of the answering machine. There he is, smiling his wide, square smile. He's got his hand on his hip, and there, catching the flash, is that ring he'd never talk about or let her try on. It is a white burst on the film. Blanca Flynn's got both her arms around his middle, and she thinks she looks sunny and hopeful in this picture, laughing at something he said in his Schuschitz accent. She plucks the picture in its frame from the bedside table and shakes it vigorously. The glass dislodges, slides from the frame, and thuds gently against a faded chocolate stain on the carpet. She picks it up. She takes the frame and the glass and the picture and slouches to the kitchen. She puts on a pot of water in the dark. She places the items in the water and turns up the flame. She shuffles out of the kitchen and sits on the edge of her bed. She looks at her ancient telephone. She knows his number. She could call it. Mention the letter. No, no, I didn't get to reading it, she could say. She could ask what might have been in it. What did he write? She wonders if he'd tell her. She wonders if she'd believe him. She hates the hush of being back alone in her guest house. 
She hates the letter she didn't read, the messages she erased, the color of her carpet. She hates what feels like clods of dirt lodged in her throat, their mud dripping sickly into her stomach. She lifts the phone receiver. She presses the ear part to her ear, mashes the mouth part against her mouth, squeezes her eyes shut and focuses on the dial tone. The dial tone is loud. Her nose breath blows into the receiver. Sounds like short bursts of wind dial tone in the background. She pulls the receiver away from her face, and like it's a hammer, Blanca Flynn smacks the ear part against the side of her head, then rubs the whole receiver down the length of her red thigh. The sequence goes crack. The side of her head throbs. She wrings her eyes shut, tunes her attention to the pot on the stove in the kitchen, listens to it. <laughs> so with your with your book um did you have like maybe one or two stories already written or like did you kind of how did you go about writing breakup stories and whatnot um well I found myself writing mostly love story or what I would consider strange love stories so mm -hmm. they're offbeat like there's a break yeah. from reality and most all of them and um I I, I, I guess I worried that, oh, no, I'm writing love stories. And then mm -hmm. I was like, oh, love stories. They're a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so then I embraced it. And I was like, okay, let's just write love stories. And so with every love story, like, you know, love stories and breakup stories mm -hmm. are kind of the same thing. Yeah, I can um, see that. <laughs> or at least, you know, <laughs> really related. <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah. I feel like in falling in love and breaking up, it's like uh, – especially in our culture, I think it really forces people to confront emotions and just feel things mm -hmm. where in our society, we're very much like emotions are dumb. Rational thinking is the way to go, which, you know, some people may say is right. And some people may disagree. Um, but I think for anybody falling in love or breaking up, it's like, it's all emotion. Mm -hmm. And I'm yeah. really interested in the kind, the intoxication of both the yeah. sensations, like the falling in love intoxication, mm -hmm. which is, yeah like one of life's gifts yeah yeah <laughs> and then and then also the breakup sensation which is also so yeah big and like like intoxicating but like the bummer of intoxication rather yeah. than like woo party yeah it's the, yeah um and I think what I ache. love about um Blanca so much is like just her impulsive way of like trying to run from it like and just yeah and and it's like I feel like it is very relatable in like breakups it's like you don't want to feel those things but 
that person or whatever happened keep finding their way back Mm -hmm. into your psyche and Mm -hmm. then she's just constantly like dealing with it but also trying to like push it down Mm -hmm. um and then yeah at the end when she's just left at home and it's like the the loneliness just like seeps back in it's just like so real after going on this like magical story Mm -hmm. (laughs) of this treehouse boy (laughs) well yeah and also like starting with the girlfriends for like party the, yeah. like the the party time to try to erase the yeah ache. and like embrace like i'm single again and it's <laughs> great it's great yeah there's a waiter let's make out yeah <laughs> um yeah and then and it, but and i guess the the whole thing is inevitably like time is the only thing that yeah it, like it has to run its viral course mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. the agony of loss yeah and yeah i guess this is a examination of I mean, sort of off the page, partying to yeah. to diminish that loss or distract from that loss, and then like this other fling, yeah, a magical, strange fling, an yeah. impossible fling, <laughs> and then still at the end, like okay, now it still has to run its course in her mm-hmm, body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I love that, like you, the writer, is saying that, but like the character never has that moment. It's like she's very like, uh, like I don't know how to describe <clears throat> it, but she just seems like very young like I imagine her to be like early 20s and just like kind of going through the thing without like rationally understanding what's Mm -hmm. happening which I think is just so delightful to read um and then what else is it oh and then uh I I want to talk about the letter (laughs) just because like in the beginning I'm like ooh, what does the letter say and then by the end, I was like, I hope she doesn't read it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just thought that was like a fun like thing that was like throughout this, the story. Um, so what was like, what was your decision to like, obviously have it very present, but never touch it? Um, well, I thought that the letter grounded her. It, it left a possibility of explanation, mm-hmm. um, maybe reparation. Mm hmm. But so it had all this potential and yeah. like tension and suspense yeah. wrapped up in the letter. Mm-hmm. And then to have it like sort of as a thing that's coaxing her, reminding her of the, her her heartache. Yeah. Um, I thought that was in a good kind of concrete way to um, conjure that recall. Mm-hmm. But then also as a writer, I was like, I don't know what's in the letter <laughs> i don't want to like write yeah. that letter and then we've got to listen to a letter from him and like so yeah sort of yeah yeah <laughs> i didn't want to have to deal with it so totally. just make it this thing that that yeah. can't be dealt with and mm-hmm. sorry blanca yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i also like that we never get to hear his side you know mm-hmm. it's like we just know him through her mind which it's like through that evidence you're like he seems like he's bad you know right um um but i but I don't know. I think that's also what's so great about this story is like you're just seeing one side and like their experience and like their feelings of it. And also like that classic of like looking for the signs of like, oh, why this why this person's bad and I need to just run. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Jeremy, do you have any questions? Um, yeah. <laughs> I So I love uh, the story is very funny, obviously. Yeah. And uh, you're reading voice is very i loved hearing you read it um and it was very it's very clear like uh from just doing this show like uh strong 
authors have clear voices like that's those pairings seem to go hand in hand um what what was it like finding your voice like what was that process like for you as a writer as a writer yeah hmm um I don't think it was conscious Mm -hmm. I think it was it's just a matter of writing and Mm -hmm. then listening to the sentences and liking the sort of rhythms and sounds of the sentences, having them meet a music that makes internal sense to me. Um, maybe not even internal sense, that just sort of jives internally with whatever m- like music biologically mm-hmm. occurs that I'm not entirely aware of. So um, I think, yeah, I, I don't know how to... how to describe finding one's voice. But I did notice as I was writing these stories, I started to, I thought they should all be different and have different narrators. And then I got worried actually some number of stories in where I was like, ooh, I think some of these characters, the first person narrator is like the same woman in all of them. And then then that made me like nervous about, oh God, I'm not distinguishing a voice in these stories. And then when I realized well, could it be the same woman? And then suddenly the connection um, between the stories made sense. And I was like, oh, it's the same girl. Great. Fine. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. totally okay with me. <laughs> and then the the so all the stories sort of developed into a single world. And mm-hmm. that was relieving. And I guess that did sort of indicate a um, acceptance of voice or just like, okay, mm-hmm. I, I'm a believer in write what you have to write. And then like yeah. make, take a look at it and after and uh-huh. try to make sense of it from a having written perspective mm-hmm. as opposed to sort of cataloging during. Right. See, yeah, it seems like you were, you leaned into it hard after you were like, oh, maybe these should all be different. No, I'm going to lean into it. Right. Okay. Yeah. Cool. They're like yeah. suggesting that they're not. And I'm like, okay, fine. Tell me what to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in I, that I, weird way. <laughs> I think it's like, it's, it's interesting hearing people talk, you know, some, for some people, they're very conscious of it the whole time. It's a very painful process finding your voice, you know, like, mm-hmm. and, uh, I like that. I like that answer. Just, well, just keep doing it. Just keep going. Keep, don't, don't stop. And don't second guess yourself. That's, I like, uh, I love that. Uh, what, uh, recently after having, you know, written this book, and, mm-hmm. um, what kinds of things do you find yourself interested in writing about now? Well, right now I'm working on a novel, and also it's a love story with a breakup. Oh. <laughs> it's mostly a breakup story, but then also, yeah, so, like, I think Drenched is maybe love-heavy, breakup secondary. Okay. And this novel is maybe breakup-heavy, love Ooh. secondary. <laughs> like, I switched the, like yeah, the <laughs> main event, mm-hmm. sort of, I think. Um, and so, yeah, so still interested in that and drenched there's a lot of water in it there's Mm -hmm. also water in this novel i'm writing except the water is like tainted this is kind of nice delicious water throughout the whole Mm -hmm. book the the new the novel water (laughs) is poison (laughs) um and i wonder if that has something to do with like this kind of destruction of the breakup being the primary Mm -hmm. um agony um yeah (laughs) <laughs> I haven't actually thought, oh, yeah, the breakup being primary yeah. agony and then the water is poison, whereas love is the primary in this one and yeah. the water is delish. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I love Good the, to know. <laughs> I love, yeah, I love, like, your writing and then you discover, like, I think that's so fun. Like, 
that makes like creatively I think that's energizing Mm -hmm. you know yeah Yeah. um have you always been drawn to magical realism um I I guess yes since I started writing seriously well I when I was um about 22 I studied with Amy Bender and um and so and she was writing magical realism and Mm -hmm. it like blew my mind and Mm -hmm. I realized oh my god you can write anything you make it real in the world of the story Mm -hmm. and use the tools of words to like construct these things that can be constructed with words like I've always wanted to build stuff Mm -hmm. but I don't know how to build anything (laughs) but I find in like oh in a story you just build it (laughs) like he can build this mattress made out of water Mm -hmm. because of ions yeah and it (laughs) holds together and it works and so that thrilled me um so I think reading Amy's work when I was like young and in that very important stage of like can I do this that's that like window of discovery um I think that what impressed like a a worldview on me and then I started reading more magical realism and then I think drenched was obviously like an extension of that and and my experimentation with that and the novel I'm working on now it breaks from reality but it's feels the, the the magical realism is a little bit different it has like a different shape and color and tone and I don't know exactly how to define it just yet I'll have to like finish the book and then discover it yeah <laughs> look look at it from with a different brain yeah wow, so cool. stories but shorter is produced by Jeremy Schmidt and hosted by me Cassie Jerkins Campfire.